this Memorial Day weekend. Memorial Day, of course, is the day we honor those who have given their lives for our country. We have a number of people in our church who have served in the military. But this is a day for honoring those who had served and had died. And that will be coming up here on, on Monday. So do keep that in mind. But here's a story of Memorial Day. I've heard this before. Some of you may have heard it before, but sometimes it's just an awful good idea for us to be in remembrance of what Memorial Day is, where it came from. Memorial Day is a time for healing. Memorial Day, perhaps more than any other holiday, was born of human necessity. Deep inside all of us lies a fundamental desire to make sense of life and our place in it and the world. What we have been given, what we will do with it, what we will pass to the next generation is all part of an unfolding history continuum that links one soul to another. Abraham Lincoln pondered these thoughts in the late fall of 1863. His darkest fear was that he might well be the last president of the United States, a nation embroiled in the self-destruction of what he described as a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. He began his remarks with, these, with those words as he stood on the battlefield near Gettysburg on November 19th of that year. The minute speech that became known as Lincoln's Gettysburg Address turned into what might be called the first observance of Memorial Day. Lincoln's purpose that day was to dedicate a portion of the battlefield as a cemetery for the thousands of men, both living and dead, who consecrated and soiled that soil in the sacrifice of battle. Said Abraham Lincoln, that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause which they gave the last full measure of devotion, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom. The next year, a pleasant Sunday in October 1864, found a teenage girl, Emma Hunter, gathering flowers in Bullsburg, Pennsylvania Cemetery to place on the grave of her father. He was a surgeon who had died in the service of the Union Army in the Great Civil War. Nearby, Miss Elizabeth Meyer was strewing flowers upon the grave of her son, Amos, a private who had fallen on the last day of battle of Gettysburg. Emma respectfully took a few of her flowers and put them on the grave of Amos. Mrs. Meyer in turn laid some of her freshly cut blooms on the grave of Dr. Hunter. Both women felt a lightening of their burdens by this act of honoring each other's loss and agreed to meet each other again next year. This time, they agreed that they would also visit the graves of those who had no one left to honor them. Both Emma Hunter and Elizabeth Meyer returned to the cemetery in Bullsburg on the day they agreed, Independence Day, July 4th, 1865. This time, though, they found themselves joined by nearly all the residents of the town. Dr. George Hall, a clergyman, offered a sermon and the community joined in decorating every grave in the cemetery with flowers and flags. The custom became an annual event in Bullsburg, and it wasn't long before neighboring communities established their own Decoration Day each spring. About the same time, in 1865, a druggist in Waterloo, New York, Henry C. Wells, began promoting the idea of decorating the graves of Civil War veterans. He gained the support of Seneca County Clerk General John B. Murray, and they formed a committee to make wreaths, crosses, and, bu and bouquets for each veteran's grave. On May 5th in 1866, 
War veterans marching to martial, mu martial music led processions to each of the three cemeteries where the graves were decorated and speeches were made by General Murray and local clergymen. The village itself was also decorated with flags at half-mast, evergreen bows, and morning black streamers. Also, as the Civil War was coming to a close in the spring of 1865, women's auxiliaries of the North and South moved from providing relief to the families and soldiers on their own sides to joining in the efforts to preserve and decorate the graves of both sides. A woman of French extraction and leader of the Virginia Women's Movement, Cassandra Oliver Moncure, took responsibility for coordinating the activities of several groups into a combined ceremony on May the 30th. It is said that she picked that day because it corresponded to the Day of Ashes in France, in France a solemn day that commemorates the return of the remains of Napoleon Bonaparte to France from St. Helena. In 1868, General John A. Logan, first commander of the Grand Army of the Republic, issued a general order establishing May 30th as an official memorial day to pay respect to all those who had died in war or peace. His order was that the men in his command should spend a portion of that day policing the gravesites, decorating them, and supporting whatever ceremonies they could. He hoped that this would spark enough interest to make Memorial Day a, a permanent national observance. In the intervening decades, Memorial Day has been observed every year. Though the day was reestablished from May 30th to the last Monday in May, in 1966, President Lyndon Johnson also sanctioned Waterloo, New York as the official birthplace of Memorial Day because of the extensive ceremonies established there in 1866. Perhaps General Logan was simply making official what the nation yearned for and spontaneously began to form after the near total destruction of the Civil War. It is that sharing of loss, honoring the sacrifices of those who made possible the lives we enjoy today, and family connections across the generations that keep Memorial Day in our hearts and always will. Well, in case that story is new to any of you or you wondered how the holiday had become started as you remember it tomorrow, make sure you know this is a day of honoring those who gave their lives because the freedom that we have is because people died, because people decided that we need to change things and we need to sacrifice. And they were willing to do so. And think of the battles. I always think of, I think Memorial Day, one of the ones I think of the most is D-Day. And how all those men just ran into waves and waves of bullets and mortar fire determined to take those beaches. But we all have our way of remembering and our things that we remember in particular. Some of you folks who served in the armed forces have some live battles to Remember, and some comrades maybe who perished on the field as well. But let's remember these things. The Word of God is always about remembrance. God is big on having memorials. He wants people to remember the good and the bad. The good and the bad. He wasn't just about having memorials rep representing good things. He would have memorials representing bad things. And in the last days, in the millennial reign, there will be a great memorial to bad things that God will let go for 1,000 years the remains of Babylon because Babylon will be rebuilt. Babylon will become the center 
of attention again. And Babylon will finally fulfill biblical prophecy and be destroyed in one day. Hasn't happened yet. But it will. And when it is destroyed, the Lord says, do not rebuild it. It will be a testimony to those coming generations of what rebellion will get. But even after a thousand years, in that testimony, staying there for a thousand years, people will still rebel. Isn't that amazing? But you won't. <laughs> Glory to God. Y'all know better. <laughs> Turn, if you would, to First Samuel in the 18th chapter. We have been looking in a number of weeks at being faithful and true. And we're looking at a lot of different topics here at the end of this series and looking at them from the eyes of faithfulness because the Word of God tells us that many people consider themselves to be faithful, but the Lord says they are rare. They are few. So many of us think that we are faithful people and we would probably stand before the Lord and say, I'm faithful. I've been faithful. And God says, no, you haven't. So I think it's important that we find out what God sees as being faithful. Because I would like to be one of those that God says, you're faithful. You're one of those that I look upon and say, you are a faithful person. So we've got to look at that. We've looked at things that have come against faithfulness. We looked at characteristics of faithfulness. We looked at motivations to be faithful. But how important it is that we be faithful to our God. It's so important that we, we go that way. We've told you before the purpose of this church, the purpose of church in general, but certainly the purpose that we have here is to not only bring you into revelation of new truths, but to remind you of old truths for the purpose of avoiding being distracted, avoiding going in the wrong direction, avoiding deception, that God wants us to go the right way. He wants us to, to walk in the way that He has for us. And He wants us to avoid all those things that would pull us down. In 1 Samuel 18, we're going to look at a story. I know the story is familiar. We actually haven't looked at these chapters for a while. We try and move it around. There's so many things you can do to teach from the Word of God to get into different stories. But I'd like to make sure that you are always familiar with all of them. There is hardly, in the, uh, all the years that we've been here, there is hardly a story in the Bible I can find that we have not taught on here. And I'm glad of that. Because that way it gets you all familiar with all of the Bible and not just a few areas. But sometimes we go back to some of those common ones that we hear. And Saul and David, of course, are pretty common. We one time spent a whole Wednesday night series just on Saul and then on David. Going through the book of Samuel and going through the book of Kings. That was years ago. Some of you weren't here when we were doing some of that. But nevertheless, this is a great one, great area of, sto of a story to compare what we were looking at last week with the idea of selfishness. Because we're going to have one individual who gets completely absorbed in selfishness and another one who does not. And you're going to see the contrast between these two and what it will do for you. What was said is Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 17. The Lord said to him through Samuel, When you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel when you were what in your own eyes? Little. Which means he's not little in his own eyes anymore. He became big. He is looking, saying, look at me. And selfishness, folks, brings us into an idea. Look at me. Look how important I am. Look how I should be treated. That's selfishness. That's what brings us in there. 
In Matthew 6, 24, we have looked at this in this series, but no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Cannot serve God and money. You can't serve two masters. You will serve one. And that's all. Now see, Satan knows this. And so his course of action is to get you to serve any other master he can. Whatever he can get in to inject and so that you are not serving God anymore. That's all he has to do. If he can get you to serve anything else, it will stop you from serving God to that degree. Now he's a deceiver. That's one of his big characteristics. He is a deceiver. So the way that he wants to go about it is to get you to serve another master all the while think you are serving God. If if he can accomplish getting you to serve another master while you think you are serving God, he's got you. And what's really tough is it's real hard for God to get you back because you think you're serving God. But you're serving yourself. This is lukewarm people that were warned about in the book of Revelation. You get to be lukewarm, it's, real, it's hard to bring you out of that. You think you're serving God, but you're not. You're serving yourself. You're serving your own master. And it's dangerous. Oh, it's a dangerous place to be. When we get to that rapture day and God takes us away, there'll be a lot of people who'll be surprised. I was serving God. Apparently God didn't think so. They didn't take you. I've, I've said this quote to you before. My father was the one who brought it to my attention. And, uh, you know, we go with the rapture theories. And uh, my father's here today. My folks have um, finished their move back up here. They decided that I truly am the favorite son and they needed to... <laughs> no, that's not it. <laughs> but either way, we're sure glad to have them one out here. And uh, they have spent time with one sister, spent time with another sister. So now they're spending time with closer to, uh, to us boys. My uh, brother's not too far away. In fact, my brother actually lives in my dad's old, home, old hometown. So um, every time they go down to visit them, they get, gets a little nostalgic, I guess. But anyway, he would tell us. He said the pre-tribs are going to get raptured before. The post-tribs are going to get raptured after. And the rib trip, mid-tribs aren't going to get raptured at all. <laughs> Remember telling me that one? Yeah, I've told you all that one a few times. But that's it's just sometimes you know getting the middle of the road. It's just not a not a good place to be. But you can't serve two masters. Too many times people think they are serving God, and they are serving themselves. And selfishness blinds people's eyes, and it's really hard to get through them. But they are so set that what they're doing is for God's good that you can't shake them out of it. Now, here's an example of one you can see who was blinded. Judas, was he not serving God? Was he not giving up like the other disciples did? And yet the whole while, he's stealing money out of the treasury for himself. And he would get upset because this wasn't done for the kingdom of God or why is Jesus doing this thing over here? Why isn't Jesus doing that? He got caught up into the selfishness. Oh, it's a, it's a destructive, it is an extremely destructive force. And if Satan can get you to buy into it in any area, you'll see people who have done this. Of course, not you, other 
other people. <laughs> but you'll notice this in some people that you know who have bought into this selfishness and have accepted some of this still think they're serving God. You will see some of the same traits in some of the same pattern that we're going to see here in Saul. And the pattern is amazing. So we've looked at this story before. Maybe not for some time. But we've looked at this story before, but we have not looked at it from the aspect of faithfulness and from the aspect of selfishness and the way this pulls us, to, pulls us out. But anyway, let's go over to 1 Samuel chapter 18 and see how where this starts. Of course, Saul is king. He's already had some successes. Some things are going on. The kingdom is going pretty well. Verse 1. Now, when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. So Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. See, Jonathan and David, they they were so akin, so much alike. Have you ever had that? A friend who was just, oh, they could just get in, get under your skin in in the right way. Not in a bad way, but in the right way. You know, I've had a few friends like that in my, in my past. And generally, for me, generally, most of my friendships, somewhere along the line in this, I mean, I'm talking guy friendships, somewhere along the line in this, center around sports or athletics. I build my best bonds with guys over sports and athletics. There was one, in fact, he was here, he helped us with the church, some of you may know him. Phenomenal friend for me. He was a guy who could speak to me and in two sentences light a fire under me like no one else could. And I could light a fire under him. And we could generally look at each other and identify things that we were going through and we could speak to that issue. He was a workout. He worked out, did some workout things for me. He was the instructor. I was the student. And he would, he would develop some things. And this is where we really began to find out about each other. Because I found out that he loved to drive people to pain. (laughs) And he found out that I wouldn't give in to being driven to pain. And we were a match. (laughs) But then sometimes we'd work out together and I'd drive him. Oh, and we just, we would have some fun. And we would play sports together. And the two of us, if you think I was competitive, and you all know that I am, he was too. Now, I can turn my competitiveness on and off. And I have warned you many times in many incidents. Don't turn it on. Don't do the things necessary to turn it on because if you turn it on, I'm coming at you. And I've warned, I've warned the youth group. You know, we're out there doing stuff. Don't get me. If you get me going, I'm there. My mom used to tell me, you can ask her afterwards, tell me all the time, you are either all in or you're not in at all. I was never anywhere halfway in between. And I I have a hard time getting anywhere halfway in between. I am either fully into the competitive event or I really don't care. And my wife used to get mad at me when we're playing things with the games with the kids. You need to let them win once in a while. (laughs) Maybe I should have, but sometimes, you know, they just get that competitive part of you going and... mm. But anyway, I understand that aspect. So I understood David and Jonathan. I knew why these two joined up. When Jonathan saw how David took on the battle with Goliath, and David, as soon as he met Jonathan, he said, this is a guy who faces battle the way I face battle. And Jonathan was. Jonathan showed you that when he and his armor bearer went out and started an entire uh, uh, victory over the Philistines. Jonathan was this kind of a guy. 
Don't tell Jonathan he can't do something. And don't tell David he can't do anything. And you put those two together. Look out. Look out. That is a pair. And these two were a pair. Boy, I tell you what, I was, I, this is one of the things I want to see when we get to heaven. I want to see those two together. Oh, that ought to be fun. But you ought to have friendships like that. And uh, everyone should. You, won't, you may not have friendship based on athletics, competitiveness, or stuff like that. You'll have it based on other things, and it's fine. Whatever it is that, that uh, will set you in on that, that's just great. But this is what worked for these guys. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. What this means is he's going into covenant with David. Now, you have the son of a king going into covenant with David, who is the son of a shepherd. And he's not coming from anything. So Jonathan is basically saying, everything I have is yours and everything you have is mine. Who's winning out? So Jonathan is, is showing you right now he is not a selfish person. Jonathan does not have a stitch of selfishness in him. Jonathan is a giver, and so is David. David does not come into this relationship giving a whole lot of stuff, but whatever David does have, he would gladly give it up. And David will show you this later on. When he does have stuff, he has no problem giving it up. And so this attracts Jonathan, this attracts David. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. And Saul sent him over the men of war and was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. This is important. He was accepted in the sight of all the people and in the sight of Saul's servants. And it happened as they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistines that the woman had come out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, with musical instruments. So the woman sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Now this causes a problem for Saul because Saul likes to be, he's the king. I should be the 10,000 guy and he should be the thousand guy. Why am I only the thousand guy and he's the 10,000 guy? And this you'll find out in a lot of corporations that a lot of CEOs, a lot of top guys have a hard time with people under them who can do something better. Even though if they do something better than they do, they make the company better and they make make the CEO look good. I heard a story, it's a long time ago I heard it, but of a CEO, or anyway, he was a person manager, I think he was in charge, he was high up in the company. And most times you could walk in his office, you get an appointment anytime you need to. You can just walk in his office, sit him down, talk with him. Most times you walk in his office, you would find him in there with his putter. And one of those little, you know, those little portable golf things you could work on your putting. That's what he's doing there most of the day. Just putting away, putting away. Most times you walk in there, putting away. But his, everybody under him worked flawlessly. And his, his section of the company got more done and was more profitable. And they found out they tried to remove him. Even though he didn't do a whole lot of work. He got everyone else to work so well, they had to keep him. Had to keep him. Because the guy was phenomenal in how he got people to work. Well, that's what's important. Who cares if somebody is better than you at a thing? You're the head. What's the matter? Now, David, when he's king, he's got 300 guys and then 30 guys and then three guys. He's got his group. And all these guys are valiant. They are. And David was not threatened by them. 
He's got the three, and you look at the, 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 the makeup of these three. If you ever want a good war story, good thing to read for Memorial Day. If you want a good war story, go over David's mighty, mighty men. Oh, phenomenal things that they did. I mean, one guy, he just killed so many people, slaughtered so many, just got into a zone that they said you couldn't tell where the sword stopped and his hand started. It just became like melded together and just went out and slaughtered Philistines. And David used this for his kingdom. He didn't get threatened by it and say, well, we've got to get rid of this guy. He's just too good. He's going to you know, be threatening. No, David was okay with it. But Saul is not that way because Saul is allowing selfishness to come in. And here's the key to Saul's down. One of the keys to Saul's downfall. He's, he's allowing the thought to come in. David is honored more than you. Where do you think that's going to go? Oh, I need to be honored more. What is that? Selfishness. And as soon as you bring this stuff in, it's going to hurt you. And it hurts Saul. Then Saul was very angry. And the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David 10,000. And to me, they've only ascribed 1,000. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? Yeah, that's a good jump. Absolutely. Now that is true. But it is kind of a big jump. So Saul eyed David from that day forward. Have you ever been eyed? You know, people watching you. <laughs> and you can tell you're being watched too, right? Yeah. Yeah, moms eye their sons because they know what sons are capable of. Dads eye the boys that are dating their daughters because there is none that are good enough. Right? You get that, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're, mm-hmm. you're looking. Uh, you know what that is. Saul eyed David from that day forward. When you are eyeing someone, there's no good intent here. You're totally assuming the bad intentions of the person you are eyeing. Hmm. And it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul and he prophesied inside the house. So David, now we get into a whole thing of punching stuff on that, but that's not our purpose. We're here for a purpose. We're staying on that. So David played music with his hand at the other, at the other times, but there was a spear. In Saul's hand. And Saul cast the spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence twice. Now, we've talked about this before. If you're David, how many of you are doing this more than once? <laughs> I mean, if the guy throws the spear at you one time, are you coming back in? Or if you do, are you making sure... Get the spear. No spears. I play. No spear. We don't want that in there. Of course, he is the king. It's kind of tough to tell the king what to do. But anyway... Two times this happened. David's a trusting sort. Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him but had departed from Saul. See, he's selfish. He's saying, if I can't have God, and you do, this isn't good. And he's, he's coming against the one that has God. Isn't that amazing? That selfish people can come against God and not feel anything about it and still feel like they're serving him. That always amazes me. But they do. And I've seen the people do it. Therefore Saul removed him from his presence and made him his captain over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David behaved wisely in all his ways. And the Lord was with him. Therefore when Saul saw that he behaved very wisely, he was afraid of him. Well, I guess he was more afraid than he was before. No matter where I put this guy, he acts wisely. He doesn't die. He just keeps killing Philistines and getting popular. This isn't good. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. 
So no matter where he puts them, he succeeds and the people love David even more. Saul feels even worse about this. Then Saul said to David, Here is my older daughter Merib. I will give her to you as a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, Let my hand not be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. He's thinking, maybe David is so invincible in battle because he has no girl at home. If he has someone to come home to, maybe he's getting more concerned about his life and then maybe he gets a little more careless and maybe he'll die. That's what he's thinking. So David said to Saul, Who am I and what is my life or my father's family in Israel that I should be son-in-law to the king? But it happened that time when Merab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, that she was given to Adriel, his wife instead. Now, Michal, Saul's daughter, loved David. And they told Saul. And the thing pleased him. So Saul said, I will give her to him that she may be a snare to him. Now, let me ask you this. Don't most fathers look for someone beneficial for their daughter? Selfishness has gotten hold of Saul so much that he has to get his need met, even willing to sacrifice either of his daughters. First the older one, and then this one. Just to get David. Just to become a snare to David. Can you imagine being so caught up in the selfishness of the moment that you would sacrifice one of your kids? He was ready to do that. I will give her to him that she may be a snare to him and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore Saul said to David a second time, You shall be my son-in-law today. And Saul commanded his servants, Communicate with David secretly and say, Look, the king has delight in you and all his servants love you. Now therefore become the king's son-in-law. So Saul's servants spoke these words in the hearing of David. And David said, Does it seem to you a light thing to be a king's son-in-law? seeing I am a poor and lightly esteemed man. And the servants of Saul told him, saying, in this manner David spoke. So the servants of Saul, the ones who love David, are being brought in to this conspiracy. I don't know that they know it's a conspiracy yet, but they're being brought in. They could just be in fed things. Remember we told you, selfish people understand that you cannot expose the motivation. You cannot expose the selfish motivation. You must cover it up. Over in Luke chapter 14, like we looked at last week, it's imperative that he covered up. They will always put a different face on it. When Jesus came into the meal, they had a selfish motivation for bringing Jesus into the meal, and Jesus spotted it, but he uncovered their selfish motivation. But people know when they are being motivated by selfish things, and they generally will cover them up. And if you expose them, aren't you doing this for the... No. If you were to go to Saul and say... Do you mean harm to David? No. I want the best for David. I mean, I'm giving him my daughter. I wouldn't give my daughter to anyone. And he could say this kind of stuff, right? They mask selfish things. Just like we did when we were kids. Didn't we do that when we were kids? We had selfish intentions. I want to go out and play. Mom and Dad want me to do this over here. So what do we do? Well, I really shouldn't do that today because this is not a good day for for that particular thing. But tomorrow is a really good day for that. It's going to be a little rain. It might rain today. And if we, you know, if it rains, and that could ruin the whole thing that we do. Tomorrow would be a better. Don't we haven't we done that? And we pass off good 
Good vibrations? I, I don't feel like taking the trash down today. Well, you know, it's a little early to take down the trash now. How about if I take down the trash later so that it doesn't bother the neighbors? <laughs> right? Don't we have a way of taking whatever it is that we have that's selfish and passing it off as looking good? And if they say, you don't really care about that, do you? You, don't, you haven't shown any care for the neighbors. Oh, but I, I've heard them talking. And they don't like our trash down so early. And I don't want them to think ill of you because our trash is down so early. So I'll, just, I'll make sure I remember, but I'll do it later. So I'll be back. <laughs> haven't we done that when we were kids? Don't you see it when your kids are doing it to you? We take selfish motivations and we put a mask on them. And then when people expose, no, no. No, I'm surprised that you think of me like that. You know I would never do something. I would never have that in, no. (laughs) And aren't those masks good? I mean, it's hard to break through some of those. You can sit there and say, "Mm, I know, I know it. But you can't say anything about it. Because they got this mask on it. This is Saul putting all these masks on. So we still go over this thing. Does it seem like a small thing to you to become the king's son-in-law? Verse 24, And the servants of Saul told him, saying, In this manner David spoke. Then Saul said, Thus you shall say to David, The king does not desire any dowry but 100 foreskins of the Philistines to take vengeance on the king's enemies. Oh, now doesn't this sound good? I would prefer that the Philistines killed David than I killed David. So how can I get him over there? Hmm. Hmm. Oh, here it is. A dowry. I won't ask for any money. Doesn't that sound good? I don't want any money for my daughter. I just want the nation to benefit for this. And you go out there and you get a hundred Philistines and you kill them. And you bring back signs to me that you killed one hundred of them. And that's sufficient for me. That's all that I need. David says, oh, okay, we can do this. Didn't David already kill Goliath? I mean, isn't that dowry enough? (laughs) I think most kings would say, you know what? You got Goliath. Goliath, that's good. He was worth a thousand Philistines. There you go. No, he wants to get him back out there in the the thick of things. But it sounds good. See, it's the servants. I don't know that the servants are against David. As far as I know, the servants are still on David's side. And so they're bringing information that's meant to harm David. But they're still on David's side and they're bringing the information. Oh, the king only says all you have to do is bring a hundred and then you can be his son-in-law. This is great, David. We like you so much. This is great. This is what selfish people can do. They can get people who like you to do things against you. And never know that they're doing something against you. Isn't that right? You thought it was just your friend who did that, didn't you? No. It's been going on for a long time. This is selfishness. And we know we have to mask it. Folks, it is imperative that you learn how to unmask selfishness and that you expose it. And you can go through the Gospels yourself and you can find out how many times Jesus exposed, exposed selfish people. Why did he expose them? Because it's important that you find out. If you give in to the words of a selfish person, you will be led astray. You will be led astray. And you'll think you're going the right way. Don't these servants think they're going? They're helping David. We're, we're doing the Lord's work. 
We're accomplishing what God wants to do. Well, verse 26. So when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well and it became to become the, son, the king's son-in-law. Now the days had not expired. Therefore David arose and went, he and his men, and killed 200 men of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins and they gave them in full count to the king that he might become the king's son-in-law. Now this is how good David is. This is how phenomenal of an individual, how unselfish of a leader he is. He could get up to his men and when, well actually once his men heard that all you have to do is get a hundred foreskins, tell you what David, we'll go with you, we'll get two hundred. We'll put our lives at risk so you can get a wife. Let's go. And they're what? They're ready. They are ready and willing. Let's go. Let's go get us some Philistines. And they head on off. Well, Saul had no choice because, again, his motivation is selfish, but you can't expose it. You have to keep it hidden. And so this is what the mask was put on. The hope was that David would die in this adventure. He didn't die. So Saul, he's not ready to unmask this to everybody yet. So what's he do? He honors it. He gives him his daughter. Saul gave Michal his daughter as wife. And Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David. Isn't that amazing? Thus Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him. He saw this stuff. He saw that his daughter loved this guy. Daughter, oh, she loved him. Those starry eyes for him. Loved the man. And, he, and she saw that David was, was in love with her, apparently. I mean, you're going to go out and kill a hundred people. A hundred of the enemies of, of Israel. You gotta, gotta be something there. Well, selfishness can bring you to fight against those whom the Lord has anointed. Selfishness can bring you to fight against those whom the Lord has anointed. And sometimes you'll never even know it. Now, Saul knew it. But Saul knows that David is anointed. Saul knows that the Lord has picked David, that God is with him, and Saul comes against him. Even though Saul still thinks he's on God's side. Is that not amazing? And Saul was still more afraid of David. So Saul became David's enemy continually. You see this kind of fear building up in people. You know they're not walking in the love of God. They're walking in selfishness. They become afraid of this and afraid of that and I'm afraid I'm going to lose this and I'm afraid I'm not going to have this. We're always afraid of losing stuff. You don't need to be afraid of that. Then the, Philist- then the princes of the Philistines went out to war and so it was whenever they went out that David behaved more wisely than all the servants of Saul so that his name became highly esteemed. Now here's what's really, really interesting. David becomes highly esteemed David, he soars to success no matter what he does. He does well. He, he's looked at, loved by all the servants of Saul, loved by the people of the nation. And yet, who goes on the run? David, not Saul. Isn't that interesting? The man who's caught up in selfishness sits at home in his palace and David is forced out on the road running for his life. Does that seem right to you? Mm. It does not. Just because you're, you know a Saul who's sitting at home, feet up, 
doesn't mean that they are not caught up in selfishness or that God is with them. You need to understand. So Saul uses his daughters in a conspiracy. And Saul even lists his servants' help, even though they may not have known it. Now, when he pulls in the servants to help here, I wonder, were there any servants Saul avoided or who said no? We're not told of any. And I don't think there probably were. Saul probably puts a good mask on it so that the servants don't recognize it. But I wonder if there were certain servants that Saul would have avoided. My thought is, in this first part, probably not. Because we're going to see in the next story whom Saul continues to enlist. It would seem like he did not avoid anyone. He thought his mask on his intention was so good that he could involve anyone. And he gets really stuck on himself with this and what he can do. So Saul knew that the Lord was with David. Doesn't make any difference. He's still going after him. Verse 1. Now Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants. Did he leave any out? That they should kill David. Is there any mask on this anymore? No. The mask didn't work. The mask didn't help. We didn't get there masking this, so now we're coming out. And we're going to tell them, we need to kill David. We need to get rid of him. You're going to have people in the room here that are just shocked. What do you mean? He's, he's the best general we got out there. We have most of our victories against the Philistines because of this guy. All Israel loves him. We love him. Why would we want to kill him? And here's the real interesting thing. He brings his son, Jonathan, in. And he knows Jonathan loves David. He feels so set that his cause is right that he will go against one he knows the Lord is with. He has recognized the Lord's hand on his life. He has recognized the Lord's anointing on his life. He will still come against it and enlist his best friend, his own son, and kill the man who married his daughter. Is that not amazing? Who is Saul faithful to? But if you ask Saul, who's he going to say he's faithful to? I'm fighting the Lord's battles. I'm leading the Lord's army. I'm king of the Lord's nation. I'm on the Lord's side. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted greatly in David. So Jonathan told David, saying, My father Saul seeks to kill you. <laughs> but David's saying, Oh, yeah? He's only thrown a spit on me two times. <laughs> Therefore, please be on your guard until morning and stay in a secret place and hide. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak with my father about you. Then what I observe, I will tell you. Then Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant against David, because he has not sinned against you, because his works have been very good towards you. For he took his life in his hands and killed the Philistines, and the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. You saw it, and you rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood and kill David without a cause? So Saul heeded the voice of Jonathan and Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. Then Jonathan called David and Jonathan told him all these things. So Jonathan brought David to Saul and he was in his presence as in times past. Did Saul truly have a change of heart? Probably not. What he's probably saying inside is, ah, this is a person I shouldn't have involved. 
I can't tell Jonathan about the things that are going on with David. I must keep Jonathan out of the loop. And Saul decides at this very moment, Jonathan must be kept out of the loop. I cannot tell him these things. Now, Jonathan spoke up for David, but all the other servants loved David. And when he brings him into the room and he says, we must kill David, how many of those servants stood up and said, no? As far as we know, none of them. It takes a lot to stand up to a selfish, motivated person. It's not easy. But Jonathan was faithful, not only to David. It's not that Jonathan was faithful to David. Jonathan loved David. Jonathan is faithful to God. Jonathan recognizes the hand of God on David. And Jonathan will not go against God. He will not do it. Besides that, he's in covenant with David. His father may not be aware of that. But that meant a whole lot to these folks. And he cannot go against that covenant. Nor will he. And there was war again. And David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a mighty blow and they fled from him. Now the distressing spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house and his spear in his hand. And David was playing music with his hands. Probably he's meditating on the fact that they're saying David struck down the Philistines. David always strikes down the Philistines. It's my army! <laughs> it's my war! I'm the one who brought victory. That's probably what he's thinking. That would distress most people, wouldn't it? Saul also sent messengers to David's house to watch him and to kill him in the morning. Are these not probably some of those who love David? And Saul has brought them over to his side that I want you to stay out here, watch them, and when he comes out, I want you to kill him. And they said, okay. Even though they know that David is innocent, even though they know that David has, on, has only done but good things for this nation. We'll go ahead and do that. So, Michal let David down through a window. Oh, I'm sorry, we missed the, missed the verse. So Saul also sent messengers to David's house to watch him, to kill him in the morning. And Michal, David's wife, told him, saying, If you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. Now, it may be that she is saying this because David has come to a low point. He says, I can't believe the king wants to kill me. I can't believe that all this stuff is going on. Why do they want to... Why is it this way? And maybe she has to kind of light a fire in them. But she says, if you don't save your life tonight, you're going to be dead. So she let him down and he gets away. So Michal let David down through a window and he went and fled and escaped. And Michal took an image and laid it in the bed put a cover of goat's hair for his head and covered it with clothes. So when David sent messengers to take David, she said, he is sick. Buying him time. Then Saul sent the messengers back to see David saying, bring him up to me in the bed that I may kill him. So the messengers go back to get the bed and to bring David up in the bed and Saul is going to kill him in the bed. That's the intent. And the servants go. And when the messengers had come, there was, a, there was the image in the bed with a cover of goat's hair for his head. Then Saul said to Michal, well, how does Saul say this? He sent messengers because the messengers probably brought her back because she had done this. Why have you deceived me like this and send my enemy away so that he has escaped? And Michal answered Saul. He said to me, let me go. Why should I kill you? Well, that didn't happen at all, but she's trying to get herself off the hook here. Understand you're facing a very selfish person. And it doesn't seem like he would, he would hesitate to kill his own daughter to get to this enemy. 
Isn't that amazing? You can get that caught up. So David fled and escaped. And the rest of the story you can find out about his escape and some of the things that had gone on there. But let's skip on down here to chapter 20. Then David fled from Naoth and Ramah and went and said to Jonathan, What have I done? What is my iniquity? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? Now, what has he done to seek his life? He sent messengers. Last time while Jonathan was involved, we had a conversation with Saul and Jonathan, and Jonathan seemed to have talked him out of it. And Jonathan is convinced Saul has no intent, no, no longer evil intent. So Jonathan said to him, By no means, you shall not die. Indeed, my father will do nothing, either great or small, without first telling me. And why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. Saul has done such a good job of avoiding Jonathan. Once Jonathan had that conversation with him in the field, he determined, I must mask this completely. Jonathan cannot know of anything. So he brings his servants in. He says, we're going to kill David. You cannot tell Jonathan. Jonathan must know nothing about this. He cannot smell anything about this. Jonathan must be kept out. You cannot involve Jonathan. And so all this stuff is going on with the messengers being sent to the house to kill him, to watch him, and then being sent back and then bringing the the daughter in and the rebuke. Jonathan has no idea any of this is going on. And David is fleeing for his life. Jonathan says, no, no. If anything had gone on, small or great, no matter what, I would have known about it. And I don't know anything about it. And David took an oath again and said, Your father certainly knows that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said, Do not let Jonathan know, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. Now this is, this is great. We're now seeing that Saul has avoided people in this conspiracy. He has come up with certain people that he cannot, cannot involve. I put this in your outline. Get this down. When selfish, conspiratory people avoid you, it is saying something. When selfish, conspiratory people avoid you, that says a whole lot about who you are. That says, if we want this to succeed, we cannot let so-and-so know because they know your character is such that you will be truthful and that you will only do what God says and that you will not follow after their selfish way. That you've exposed their selfish way. And that you'll do that. If you are being avoided by selfish people, stand on the rooftop and rejoice. If selfish people continue to involve you in conspiracies, stop looking at them and look at yourself. There is a reason so many people talk to you about conspiracies. But glory to God, there's a reason that they avoid you. See, Jonathan didn't just sit back there and disagree. He got in his father's face. He says, no, 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 you shouldn't be doing this. So Saul backs off from, not from the intent, just from involving Jonathan. Skip on down to verse 24. Then David hid in the field. They had set up this whole system. Jonathan and David. They said, all right, I'm going to do this. You're going to stay away from the feast. By the third day, I'll know what's going on. He may miss, he may not do anything on the first day, but by the third day we know that he'll do something. And I'll come on out here on the third day and I'll give you news one way or the other. They set up the system, they set up the signs, they set up all that. We don't need to get into those details. You can find them out and read them at home if you want. Then David hid in the field, and when the new moon had come, the king sat down to eat the feast. 
Now the king sat on his seat, as at other times, on his seat by the wall. And Jonathan arose, and Abner sat to, the, to Saul's side. But David's place was empty. Nevertheless, Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought something has happened to him. He is unclean. Surely he is unclean. I mean, I tried to kill him twice before with a spear, and he came back. Just because I sent messengers to kill him at his house doesn't mean he shouldn't come back. And it happened the next day, the second day of the month, that David's place was empty. Saul said to Jonathan, his son, Why has the son of Jesse not come to eat either yesterday or today? So Jonathan answered, Saul, David earnestly asked permission of me to go to Bethlehem. And he said, Please let me go to our family, for our family has a sacrifice in the city. And my brother has commanded me to be there. As the older brother had to listen. And now, if I have found favor in your eyes, please let me get away and see my brothers. Therefore, he has not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger was aroused against Jonathan. And he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman. <laughs> I wonder if she was around. <laughs> she may not have liked that too much. Do I, not, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? Well, he just put down his mother. Now he's, what's, he's just going back and forth on this. For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, you shall not be established nor your kingdom. What's he doing here? Putting another mask on the intent. We're not trying to get rid of David for my sake. I am getting rid of David for your sake. Because as long as he is around, you'll never be established as king. And if I don't do this, if I don't get in here and do this hard work, the work that you don't want to do, if I don't get in there and do this, you'll never have a kingdom. It's not for me I'm doing this, Jonathan. It's all been for you. And you ungrateful son. They're standing in the way of me doing this. Aren't selfish people good at this? They can throw a mask on anything. Now therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. He knows now I have to get Jonathan involved. If I do not get Jonathan, I cannot get David right now. So he throws out this last mask to try and pull Jonathan in. And look at how it goes. And Jonathan answered Saul his father and said to him, Why should he be killed? What has he done? So Saul is frustrated. He will not buy into this conspiracy. No matter what mask he puts on it, he will not buy into it. Then Saul cast a spear at him to kill him, by which Jonathan knew that it was determined by his father to kill David. Well, you could say cast a spear at who? Did he cast a spear at David's seat to, as to show that he was going to kill him? Or did he cast a spear at Jonathan? Now, I would say when we first read this, that more than likely he cast a spear at Jonathan, wouldn't you? But read the next verse. So Saul cast a spear at him to kill him, by which Jonathan knew that it was determined by his father to kill David. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger. Folks, if somebody just threw a spear at you, would you not already be arisen from the table? I don't know for sure, but I'm thinking if somebody threw a spear at me at dinner, I'm already up. I'm not still sitting. But it is very possible that Saul got so mad he would even throw a spear at his own son. But it is also possible that he threw the spear at David's place. 
And that is why Jonathan knew that his intent was to kill David and why he was still sitting. But again, I can't tell you for sure on that. Just two possible ways to go. Either way, we know Saul was mad at, at Jonathan. Very mad at Jonathan. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month for he was grieved for David because his father had treated him shamefully. And then later on they go on down and they do all the signs and they have their big goodbye. They would really probably be it. They knew this is probably the last time we're going to see each other and this is probably where it's going to end. And Jonathan says, make sure that you take care of my descendants. That you don't kill anyone that uh, comes after me. That you take care of them. And David said, I will, because Jonathan knows you're going to be the next king. And Jonathan's fine with it. Can you imagine that? You are in line to be president if we did it by birth. And someone else comes along and you say, I'm okay with you taking over and me not taking the thing. That is an unselfish person. Jonathan was totally on board that if he had survived that he not only would have turned the kingdom over to David because David was the Lord's anointed on it, he would have stood by his side and defended David's reign. That is an extraordinarily, extraordinary individual. They both were extraordinary individuals. Saul continues to get wrapped up in selfishness and to get sucked in. And he's pulling other people with him. Selfishness, folks, will subvert and remove all loyalty and devotion to anything but self. It will knock it all out. But they will continue to mask it as something good. But they don't have good intention. People who continually say things to try and get you to think poorly of this person, think less of this person over here, they have a selfish intent. They want you to think more of them they want you to be on their team. They want you to be on their side, whatever it is. They have selfish intent. You need to expose the selfishness. And if you continue to expose it, you'll find out you will lose that person. They won't hang around. What we think we are doing in faithfulness to God, we are only doing for ourselves. Selfish people. What, we th- what they think they are doing in faithfulness to God, they are only doing for themselves. Understand this. This is really important. What we don't see, we don't battle or guard against. What we don't see, we neither battle nor guard against it. If you do not see the selfish intentions of other people around you and you allow their selfish motivations to be sown into you, you can become just like Saul's servants who were all on board with David and now took orders to go to his house to kill him. Took orders to go to his house and carry him on his bed to be killed. To stand in a room when someone says, David must die and say nothing. Only Jonathan was willing to say something. Only Jonathan was not allowing selfishness to come into him. And even when Saul throws out the final mask, and says, you need to get a little more selfish about your future. Because you won't have one if the son of David continues, or that David continues to go on. You won't have a future. It'll be all over. He said, no, no, I'm all right with that. It's a whole lot better to be on Jonathan's side. 
than to be on Saul's. It's a whole lot, lot better to be counted among the Davids than to be any, any place else. Be on guard against selfishness. If you allow it to come in, it can take one who was faithful to God and turn them into one who is faithful to themselves. And all the while, they still think they are faithful to God. They are still thinking, I'm faithful to His Word, but you've allowed wrong thoughts, wrong motivations to come in, but now you can't recognize them as wrong thoughts and wrong motivations because the wrong stuff has set inside. Jonathan is a great character in the Bible because he would not allow this stuff to get set in, even when it was sowed by his own father. He says, no, I'm not letting you put that stuff in me. Nope. I know. I know, David. I know. What you're saying isn't right. What you're saying isn't true. David doesn't desire these things. David doesn't walk this way. I know it is not true. And I will stay faithful to my God And God is on David. And David is the next king. And and Jonathan basically says, I will serve him as the next king. Gladly. What an unselfish person Jonathan is. What a guy to model yourself after. Sure, it's fun to be the Davids. It's harder to be one who's going to be that supporting role to help David get there. To let someone else take the glory. It's hard to be in Saul's situation when someone else is having 10,000 described to them and you only 1,000. And you think, I deserve 10,000. Hmm. Don't fall into that. Your faithfulness to God is what's at issue. Not your faithfulness to people. Your faithfulness to God. That is the most important thing. If you are found faithful to Him, you will be faithful to all that serve Him. Be faithful to God. Be faithful to His Word. If God says, don't think that, don't think it. If God says, do this, do that. If God says, love this way, love that way. Whatever God says, do it. God, I'm going to be faithful to what you say. No matter who tries to mask whatever they throw my way. I won't do it. God exposes every mask. Jesus is a great guy to, to go through. You know, sometimes it's good just to go through the Gospels with an intention, with, a, uh, uh, with an agenda. I've told you before, I've gone through the Gospels just with the agenda. How did Jesus heal people? That's all I was looking for. How did Jesus minister healing to people? You can go through the, through, through, go through the Gospels and just look at Jesus. How does Jesus expose selfishness? How does he deal with it? How does he deal with selfish people when they act selfishly? What does he do? And just watch them. Just go through every story and just I'm just looking for this one thing. Oh, the stuff you'll see that you never saw before because you're looking for something in particular. You're looking for it. It will help you out. Don't let selfishness get in. If it gets in, it just gets worse and worse and worse. Get rid of self. Just serve God. Oh, it's so much better. You cannot serve two masters, folks. There's only one you're going to serve. And which one is it going to be? Oh, I'd rather be up there and saying, God say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's where I want to be at. I don't want to be one of those who said, mm-mm, no, 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 you should have stood up against that. You shouldn't. No, I don't want to be that one. I want to be one of the ones that when he sees Jonathan, Jonathan, you stood up. 
for what was right. All the other servants, we don't even know their names. Later on, we hear of a couple. Probably they were in the room. But I tell you what, some of the servants that come up later on to come against David, oh, incredible evil they are capable of. We could get into them some other time, but not, not today. Did you all stand up with me? Father, we thank you for the help that you give us to expose selfishness in the people that are around us as they try and take their selfishness, mask it, and put it on us. But Father, we will not allow that to come in because that will stop us from walking in the way of being faithful to you. Father, we want to be faithful to you, to your cause, to your word. We want nothing to be able to be sown in us that causes us to walk the way Saul did. Help us, Father, to see selfishness as soon as it pops up. No matter how a person masks their intent, help us, Father, to, to see what's going on. And learn from Jesus how He dealt with it. Sometimes He exposed it, sometimes He didn't. But He seems like He always knew when selfishness was around. I thank You for the help that You give us to know that as well. I give You glory for it and praise. Thank You for the understanding You give us of Your Word this week. As we go through the situations in life, let your word come alive and you say, see, that's this person. That's, that's like Saul was acting. That's like Jonathan was acting. That's like David was. Help us to see that in our own life. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.